hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, alongside me my producer, Shelby King, as always, and we have a special guest with us today, don't we, Shelby? We do indeed. Paul Kassar is with us, joining us, and we teased maybe that Paul would join us a little bit last week, but Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hello, guys. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So, Paul, maybe you could start off by helping our audience out a little bit by just kind of giving them a little bit about your background, who you are, where'd you where'd you come from? Sure. Um, so I have been in the publishing advertising field for close to, well, it's just let's just say since 1987 was when I first <laughs> got into the business. Um, and if I bite-size it for you, I spent uh, 20 years um, in the print industry. Uh, that sort of tapered at the end of that into um, um, dabbling in the beginning of the web and launching our own websites with the publications I was working for. Um, was very much in a sales capacity, commercial capacity there, and then, um, you know, as I like to put it, I left my cushy, you know, Mad Madison Avenue print job uh, to go and work for a VC startup um, ad tech company uh, called Video Egg, uh, which uh, launched an engagement ad network and were one of the first to pioneer uh, the importance of rich media creative ad units as well as the um, the cost per engagement pricing model, which has become a standardized sort of uh, buying metric uh, in media. Um, and I did that for 10 years. That also morphed, that also sort of transformed into, uh, we had developed a publishing platform called uh, Tempest that we were uh, licensing out to publishers as another um, sort of professional publishing tool for publishers, which I, I really enjoyed that part quite a bit actually. Um, and um, I, most recently, I joined Hearst UK uh, as the chief digital officer, overseeing um, uh, basically 19 digital brands, um, helping um, a transition that the company needed to go through from sort of a, um, a traditional print company into into more of a digital powerhouse, and trying to sort of continue sort of the the, um, the momentum that the US had successfully. Um, started uh, that transition. So um, I did that for a year and a half and you know along the way there I've met um, a couple of guys from Ezoic and uh, got talking to those guys really liked. Um, Our good friend John Cole who's been on the podcast many yeah. times before. So I met John on a, speak, on a speaking panel and we just got talking and um, did a, you know I invited him to come into Hearst. I was very interested in what you know what you guys were doing with uh, you know, in the artificial intelligence space for publishers, and um, you know, a year and a half later, I, John and I just thought about you know me joining the company, and I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Um, well, I don't know how familiar you are with the publisher lab format, but Shelby usually kind of digs into the news a little bit and tries to pull out stuff. Usually, I tell her to try to surprise me, and sometimes she does. And um, yeah, so I we I'd be really interested to kind of hear your thoughts on some of the the topics of the day. I think there's quite a bit going on in publishing right now that we could probably find to talk about. Shelby, what's on the agenda? Yeah, I first wanted to start off um, with this article that I found really interesting about below the fold ads and how advertisers have usually placed a premium on above-the-fold ads since the average bid is usually higher than the below-the-fold ads. And a study by a publishing company, Sovereign, shows that they're 16% um, more likely to be viewed 
However, their research also shows that below-the-fold ads are seen 2.6 times longer than above-the-fold ads, which offers higher levels of engagement. Um, this is also kind of backed up by another study done by Chartbeat, which says that almost two-thirds of engagement happens below the fold, um, which is kind of challenging the traditional view about above-the-fold ads. Um, and they found this particularly true with high-value um, products like cars and financial services. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. So Paul, viewability, metrics, and, and things along these lines, th this is... This is not your this is not your favorite language, right? Well, I wouldn't say it's not my favorite language. I, I think I've, we've talked about it to death over the over the years, um, especially you know uh, as programmatic got more and more popular, and you know the the, the, the concerns around bot traffic and you know whether ads are viewable and, or not. And at Hearst, we certainly had our advertisers putting us a lot of pressure on delivering um, uh, viewable impressions, and although they, they didn't want to pay the premium. That view and impression, uh, you know, was worth. It was always a topic, but that's the first I've heard about um, below the fold ads actually delivering more engagement. That that I found really interesting, and I haven't really, thought, you know, sort of been exposed to that too much. But I mean, it would make a lot of sense if you've got um, a piece of content that is engaging, that they're scrolling through, uh, that they're spending more time on the page, that the ads below the fold could end up um, becoming you know, uh, ads that are more viewable and more engaged with. So it would be would be my sort of take on it, which makes which makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this is I think, you know, you've contextualized it really well for our audience to think about, you know, somebody that is actually engaged in an article, which is scrolling down and reading through it. And I think that conversation is a much better conversation to have in, gen in general than one about viewability, because I think we need to be careful about associating viewability with engagement because just because an ad is viewed doesn't mean that the brand or whoever that advertiser is necessarily extracting from that ad their desired result. And I think one of the things that advertisers would continually want to buy on is visitor engagement, engagement in the physical content. And I think you know different ways that we can start to measure and look through how are visitors essentially engaging in content and what does that look like, I think is good for the space. So I think the more and more research we see on this, the better, because I think it has people thinking holistically about what engagement actually is. I think what would be interesting to know on that point as well, when they say the ads are more visible, what type of ads are they? Are they sticky ads? Are they just straight up banner ads? Are they expandable rich media ads? It'd be interesting to know what those are like because that, that also has, a, has a, an impact on the type of engagement. Um, I wanted to talk about Days Media. Um, so they're a publisher and they're launching a new beauty vertical on Instagram. So they're a fashion lifestyle publisher um, and they're choosing to launch on Instagram a couple months before actually launching a website or a print magazine. Um, and the company plans to build up their social audience by creating content specifically for Instagram in mind. And then they're going to reformat the content later for other platforms. Um, for example, the print magazine will feature stills from moving images that were shot for Instagram. So I thought that was kind of an interesting approach that they're doing. It feels a little bit backwards, but... Yeah, Paul, is this possible? So, I mean, there's few people that have probably seen more strategies kind of... In, in, um, deployed here recently than someone like yourself that's worked at Hearst that has so many diverse properties. Can this can this strategy of building something up on one platform and then essentially changing everything and, and offloading explainers, does this work? Why not? Why not? I mean, it, 
it, it's not surprising at all. I mean, Instagram is winning, if you ask me. Um, if you you know, with, if you think about the social platforms, you know, we, we know the struggles that Snapchat are having with, uh, you know, their, their their daily users. They reported that last quarter. I think that it was the first time their daily user adoption had gone down. But um, I think that you know, and obviously there's the the ongoing. You know, Instagram is just copying everything that, that uh, Snap are doing, but I think they're doing a really good job at it. And they 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 just launched, I think, last quarter their um, their TV channel, if you will. So um, and from Hearst's experience, where we you know we launched you know our brands on different platforms uh, that you know provide much more you know very different content, um, it makes total sense that you know with the scale that Instagram has and the popularity that it has. And that you know somebody would consider launching a brand on it. Why not? I mean, why not? I think it's uh, I think it's totally a good strategy. Yeah, so, and the, I mean, it really does you know talk to how our industry has changed so much over the last you know 20, 30 years. So I think it's great. And this lifestyle niche seems to be one that performs particularly well on on Instagram yeah. as well. And so um, yeah, it seems like they could probably attract a pretty attract uh, a pretty good audience there. Now with a strategy like this, Paul would. Would the idea be that the audience primarily lives on Instagram or that's how you connect with them and then you can move them into these other mediums? Um, or is the idea essentially that you're going to kind of build something on one and eventually always want to take it well, to something else? I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. I think just to me, from the, it makes a ton of sense because um, you're right about the lifestyle. The lifestyle vertical and Instagram is, is, is mostly, let's just say, it's, it is a lifestyle vertical. Um, or there's a lot of lifestyle verticals on it, but I think that you um, that um, it makes it makes perfect sense. And who knows what they could would do it could do with it afterwards. I I'm struggled to find an example of where something like this has happened, where they've gone on to let's say you know launch a print magazine. I, I you know what actually Airbnb did it, have done that. They, uh, Airbnb with Hearst and recently the, last year um, started printing magazines as well. But, you know Hearst was printing. Was the exclusive um, uh, publisher for the magazine. So there are some examples of that, but um, I think yeah, I think yeah, that's, uh, that's what I think. I forgot what the question was, but I think I'm answering. <laughs> are you on Instagram? I am on yeah, Instagram. I'll have to look you up on Instagram. Yeah, I, I expect I'll find a lot of like like it's you know, mostly it's Brazilian mostly, judo. Is it's what a, what it is? yeah, Brazilian jiu jitsu. So yeah, it's mostly what I use it for. Yeah, um, uh, I have I have different use it. Twitter's my marketing platform, Instagram's my jiu-jitsu platform, and Facebook's how um, all my friends from high school. Have you have you been on Instagram and um, checked out how they're presenting what they're calling TV show stations and stuff like that? Yeah, it's something we've talked about on the show here a little bit, IGTV, and um, it seems like they've struggled a little bit to pick up steam and attract, um, and attract people that are building shows or quality content just for that platform. It seems like a lot of um, uh, folks on Instagram are essentially repurposing video content they have on other platforms yeah. for IGTV right now. And I think that you know any major platform is really seeking that publisher to build a signature show or something like that that yeah. kind of fits the format. I think it's exciting. I think it's great. I think it's a smart move with the beauty vertical, though, because I was reading uh, earlier today about how U.S. adults don't trust the news that they get on social media, but they just keep going back because it's so convenient. So beauty seems like a smart, smart move on that one. 
Are you saying that we shouldn't trust beauty? Well, <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the beholder, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, something else I wanted to talk about, and we've actually talked about this with John Cole last time he was here, the Ozone Project. Um, so it's The Guardian, News UK, and Telegraph joining together to make a new digital um, ad sales house. And they've just added a fourth publisher, um, Reach, the publisher of Mirror and Express. Um, and now with the four combined, they're going to have a digital audience um, of more than 42.5 million British consumers, which is right on up there with Facebook. So I kind of figured that's a game changer right now. I know we talked about it a few months ago, but kind of your thoughts on that. 40 million plus, Paul. Impressive? Um... In the UK, yes, I think that's an impressive number for sure. Is that what is that what they're claiming? Forty million plus in the UK? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's an impressive number. I think that yeah, um, what I know of this subject uh, is that this they've they've been uh, this is a, sort of a, a strategy or an idea that, that has been a long time putting together um, with the the main goal to be able to offer their audiences. Uh, at scale to compete with the platforms who are basically, as we know, just sort of, you know, taking away their audience and, and selling it uh, how they want, you know. So this is just an, a way for them to, I think there, there, there is a, has been some success with this approach in, in Germany. A bunch of publishers, I forget what, what the group is called, have, 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 been, have adopted this strategy by banding together and offering advertisers um, you know, a, a news vertical at scale, and uh, to com to compete with uh, you know with uh, how they're getting uh, you know sort of undercut um, by by the platform. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't know if it's going to be successful or not. It's you know, it's not necessarily if you're if you're the an average publisher, not even an average publisher. If you're most publishers out there right now, you. I would imagine you can't look at something like this and say, oh, this is something scalable that's going to be relevant to me in the near future. Would you agree or disagree? Um, it's not, I don't disagree or disagree. I think it's all relative to your industry and that your industry set how many publishers that you could actually get together to band, to band together to offer the same thing, which is, you know, an audience at scale to, to Almost like a goal. union, union yeah. of publishers. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I can be really cynical about this because I think, are you really honestly that the 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 end of the day, the only thing that's going to bring down, you know, if anything is ever going to bring down a Google and a Facebook is not a publisher. It's going to be another tech company. So because that's what they are, is a tech company that they're, you know, they've got publishers, you know, a little bit bent over because they they offer such great distribution. So we'll see. We'll see if it works. I mean, they've got to do something. Uh, we all know that we, 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 we're all very aware of, you know, the struggles that publishers have with uh, being over-reliant on, on the platforms for distribution, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. So I don't think it's a bad thing. So Very nice. Okay, next topic. Um, so Oath ad platforms. Um, so the Verizon-owned company announced that they're going to unify their ad tech stack under Oath ad platforms, um, and it'll combine assets from Brightroll, one by AOL, and uh, Yahoo Gemini. And the platform includes some new features like um, connectivity to TV inventory and some new ad formats. So Oath, 
this behemoth is going to try to integrate all these different things together. Paul, I mean, you've worked for a behemoth company before. How well do these like kind of like projects of integrating all these different disparate systems together? How does that usually go? Um, how does it usually go? Well, um, give me your your cynical your cynical I, well, answer. The thing is, I, I, cynical or not, I mean, I think what the reality is here is that um, consolidation is just going to happen in our industry a lot because there's there's so many companies, there's so many there's so many tech companies, so much so much out there, so much out there that, um, and there's only the, the pie is only so big, right? So consolidation. Is naturally going to happen. Right? You know, you're going to just publishing companies. You know, Hearst bought Meredith last year. Timing broke. Timing uh, broke up last year and was you know was auctioned off to various different media companies. Uh, so I think that you know it may, it makes sense that that just doesn't extend to media brands. It's going to extend to companies that own technology. And when when media companies buy each other, they're not only just buying brands. They're buying a lot of legacy technology. Mm -hmm. So and in all in, in a, they they have to. At some point, get to a point where they have to make buying it easier for their customers, right? So um, I know that from from you know Hearst's point of view, from a technology point of view, if we wanted to offer an advertiser a global execution, uh, it was very difficult because you were dealing with you know twenty or different ad servers and twenty or different uh, CMSs. So it made uh, uh, you know it made it much more difficult to 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 install confidence in, 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 a, in an advertiser that you could deliver a campaign efficiently. Um, and then on the, on the flip side of that, that's where the platforms are really strong. They're, you know, it's the same platform that's in, that's in, you know, that's in Germany, that's in Mexico, that's in, they just go into a market, turn it on, and it's the same. So it makes it really easier for, for brand advertisers to, to use them because they don't have to worry about consistency across, across the platform. So when media companies, you know, Buy each other out. They're buying their baggage, and they have to they have to clean shop. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I and does I, that make sense? To you? No, yeah. it, it totally does. Yeah. And I think that it's a challenge that you see across industries that um, where you see a lot of consolidation, where you have to integrate these systems. And I think one of the things that gets really difficult with that in a lot of cases is which ones do you keep, which ones do you not. And um, there ends up being a lot of conversations about should we build something new, should we acquire something, should we implement something new. And um, usually those projects are not very quick moving in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we'll see how things roll out for Oath here over the next couple months. It'll be interesting. Definitely. Um, the last thing that I have on deck is, of course, Snapchat's chief strategy officer leaving. Um, this comes at a time where I think um, Snapchat daily users are down, decreased by 3 million users. Um, and I know their stock prices have also gone down since this announcement, too. So, Paul, are you buying or selling Snapchat stock? <laughs> I don't have any Snapchat stock, so, um, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, Imran Khan is, uh, is big news that he's leaving. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a really great surprise, if I'm honest, but... Um, uh, I could say a lot on it um, because I've got a lot of friends um, who work for Snapchat, and um, you know we've you know had dealt with Snapchat um, on a you know on a business level at Hearst, um, and you know it's been public knowledge that a lot of high-level executives have left, and um, uh, I think that they've um, 
you know, got some struggles with culture there, is what I've heard. But um, I think that if we're talking about whether they're going to survive and whether they're going to be a prosperous business, I, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that they still they still will. They'll just figure it out. They still got large scale, large people using the a lot of people using the platform. Let's not forget, you know, what Facebook went through. The, these kind of companies will go through these hiccups, but you know, they're not going to go away. And um, I think Evan's a very smart guy, and he's got smart people around him, and I think that he's just going to—they're going to figure it out eventually. So um, that's what I think. What do you think about Snapchat as a as a medium for publishers? So I know Hearst probably had multiple properties or multiple brands that yeah. um, were creating specific content. We've talked before with a gentleman from uh, a publication called The Tab that talked that had a very popular um, show that they distributed solely through Snapchat. What do you think about it as a medium for publishers? I, I, I haven't seen that one tab. How, how, what was it? Um, so they, the tab is a, it's a UK-based publisher. Actually, I think they have offices in New York now. Um, but uh, it's, ma- it's mainly for uh, um, folks that are college age, and uh, their most popular show on Snapchat was actually a show that was the continuation of a group chat among several females that kind of just went back and forth in the group chat. It was a six or seven minute show at times and uh, you just kind of I guess clicked through I'm not really sure I've never is seen it, and is it, are they still on it? Uh, I'm not sure if they're still using the platform yeah. or not this was about a year ago that we heard the so story going, what was, going back to your question what was your question again? Sorry. my question is, is how, what, what, what do publishers think about it in terms of the medium in terms of distributing content connecting with an audience creating specific platform content on Snapchat well um, what do we think of it I mean um, I think that if you I think that like all platforms it's um, a, a tool that uh, could present good opportunities for you, and they could present opportunities for you to um, uh, find audiences that you find an audience that you didn't have before. And, and hosted that really, really well in the early days of the discover the discover section in Snapchat, where they you know where we launched Cosmo um, on the platform, and it was it was hugely successful. And we learned a lot from it, and we, we, we learned that people were discovering the Cosmo brand um, the, uh, for the first time. And, you know, people who had no idea that Cosmo had the legacy that it did, which was, you know, it was primarily a, a print magazine, and people were going, well, I didn't know that Cosmo had, um, you know, had magazines. So, which is, which is really, really interesting. So I think that done, you know, done well, and, you know, you have to have, you know, it, it, you have to have the right strategy. You have to do it properly. Um, it took Hearst a while to figure out how to do it properly. It's um, um, you know there were definitely some growing pains in there. But you know we you know we we turned it into a revenue channel. We turned it into an audience channel, and we launched other brands on it. And some brands did better than others. You know the lifestyle fashion brands did okay. Uh, the men's channels were a little. The men's brands were a little bit more difficult. So. Um, you know, maybe going back to the Instagram thing that, you know, maybe it's just good for lifestyle and, you know, we'll see if it's good for auto or, you know, or for tech, we'll see. But um, uh, I think that publishers have to and should be embracing the opportunity that they have to work with the platforms. And, you know, we used to call them a frenemy because they could be our enemy and they could also be very good for us. So it's all about how you balance it out. So. And I think it's a constant conversation that we have in this show. I think publishers are in a constant state of trying to find where that balance is, yeah. you know, and I think it's a moving target, right, because the platforms are always changing, yeah. and then audiences are always changing, and I think everyone is just trying to always kind of find a way to weave in and out of that kind of 
that uh, that frenemies on, as you put it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. we help navigate people at least a little bit with this podcast. We'll see. Um, that's all I have on deck today. Paul, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to have you on, and hopefully, we can catch up um, more often uh, as we travel around. I know we'll be in London here in a little over a month, so maybe we can do a podcast when we're across the pond, and maybe that time that time I'll be jet-lagged and you'll carry the show. Let's do it in the pub. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us on the Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, alongside me, Shelby King. Uh, Remember, leave us those um, reviews on iTunes. Those things are like gold. Continue to help us push up the rankings, and uh, bring you guys more and more great content each and every week. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch you next time.